Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts from. On this episode of The Curious Capitalist, I am really excited to be speaking to new board member, Kathy Saint. Kathy is also the president and CEO of Schwertel in Bridgeport. Kathy, welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> Good stuff. Let's see if you feel the same at the end of this interview. So come on then, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, tell me about the company and uh, how you got to this point in your career. Sure. The company is a family business. It's 142 years old, was started by my great grandfather and my great uncle. Wow. And yeah, my brother and I are present owners, fourth generation. He handles all the inside stuff like the, you know, production and programming and all that good stuff. And I handle the outside stuff with business development and customers, and we both like different things. So that really makes for a good partnership where we, uh, you know, we're one of those one in one makes three kind of combos, I think. <laughs> and, um, and we adore each other and that. So that's, you know, that's always a good thing. And so we manufacture products that are used uh, mostly in the plastics industry for decorating onto plastic parts and also assembling plastic parts. So our secret sauce is molding and bonding silicone to metal. And that translates into tools that are used to hot stamp and transfer foil to plastic parts like you know, everything from makeup compacts to those giant garbage pails that you see at the end of your driveway that have, you know, the, your town's logo stamp. Wheelie on. bins? Yeah, the wheelie no bins. No way, I never knew that, Kathy. Well, when we when I get off of this, I'm going to send you a video of how they're made. It'll blow your mind. Um, actually, I'd be quite excited to see. I don't know whether that's sad or not, but I'm very excited to see about how wheelie bins are made. <laughs> the, the molding machines are huge. I, I mean, bet. Like, you know, five stories tall. They're they're giant. It's and with a huge robot arm that picks them out of the molding machine and then puts them onto this hot stamping machine that stamps the information and artwork yeah. on them. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. do, definitely do. And uh, I shall upload it to yeah. social media as well. So if you're listening to this after the, uh, after the effect, if you like, I will share it on social media. So you too can see how a wheelie bin is made. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, and then they have, you know, mascara tubes and things like that. So it's, it's, it covers the whole spectrum. And then we also make little gripper fingers that go on the end of robot arms. Cause sometimes when they're grabbing or holding parts, either the parts are hot or they're delicate and they don't want to be scratched. And so our silicone can handle a hot part without getting damaged or sticking to it. And it can also handle a delicate part without scratching it. 
Robot fingers. Yeah. Tell me that's on your resume. I'd love that. In fact, you should use that on the subheading of your LinkedIn profile. Kathy Singh, right. president and CEO, manufacturer of robot fingers. <laughs> I'd right. click on that. I'd click on that profile. Yeah, I like that. I think I might I might add that. It's catchy. So come yeah. on then, tell me. I mean, it's a, would you just say third or fourth generation business, which is fourth. nothing to be sniffed at. That's quite yeah. incredible. Uh, what do you wish you had known before you started out on your career path? And was the plan always to go into the family business? The plan was to never go into the family business, <laughs> to run as fast and far as I could in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and to that end, I double majored in English and psychology in college. And psychology is still kind of my avocation. I do an awful lot of reading in that area and mm -hmm. philosophy, stuff like that. But after my daughter was born, I was a stay-at-home mom. I had been selling real estate for a while. And I was a stay-at-home mom and somebody left for a long maternity leave with a complicated pregnancy and my sister was president at the time. So she asked me if I could come in and help out in the accounting department, which is really funny because she's really fabulous at um, math and accounting and detail and just, you know, her brain honestly is, is incredible. And I'm the worst at that stuff. <laughs> and so I worked really, really hard to never make a mistake because in accounting, if you make a mistake, you have to find it. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that means you have to know what you're doing. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. So I knew if I made a mistake, I'd never be able to find it. And then she would have to find it. And that would not be a very good situation. But while I was working there, I was really enjoying just being with her and the family and, and the people that were there. And we were growing very, very fast. And so when the, um, the lady came back from maternity leave, we were hiring refugees from, actually at that point in time, there were some coming from Vietnam and Laos mm -hmm. and they did not speak English. And so I, I don't speak their language, but I went through the GED book with them to help them to you know, pass all the tests so they could get their GED and that process helped them to learn to improve their English and all. And then from there, I ended up getting into scheduling in the factory and that got me out onto the floor. And once I was out on the floor, that was pretty much it because I really loved seeing how things were made. And I had an aptitude for looking at things and understanding what I was looking at. And I was curious. I'm always been curious, George. I mean, yep. I I'm sure when I, I have uh, my, one of my cousin's little daughter is one of those all, you know, you say something to say, well, why is that? Well, well, why is that? Well, why is that? It's like the end endless whys. And I, I had to have been that kid, but so I was that kid in our shop, you know, when I went back, in my my 30s and learned what was going on and hired people trained people i set up a second shift and managed that and then little by little i just started taking on more responsibility uh, you know one point in time my sister really wasn't loving it. it i don't think it really was what she was 
imagining or looking for. So she left and I stayed and, you know, just over time I ended up being the one to take over being president. My brother never really wanted to do the management side of things. He didn't really <laughs> like that so, at all. Sounds like you've landed the job that nobody else wanted by working your 100%. way up and it's a family business. Credit to you. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank well you. earned, that's for sure. Yeah. So what does the, uh, what does an average day look like for you? What are, what are your roles and responsibilities within the business? I've got a really phenomenal team that handles the all the operation stuff. And so all this stuff that I either had to work really hard at because I wasn't naturally good at or like the maths. Sorry, the math. Totally. <laughs> um, all that stuff is handled by great people. Um, and so all my energy is on business development and sales, getting out and seeing customers, looking for new new iterations of our product that are going to meet changing needs in the marketplace. So originally, almost all of our business was in the decorating side of things. Now more and more of it is transitioning into the assembly-related products. And that's kind of exciting because learning a lot of new technology and you know, looking at material science opportunities and things like that. So that's the stuff that I really, really enjoy. I'm on the advisory board for the tech park up at UConn and also for their material science and engineering school. So I get to be around people who are like, you know, orders of magnitude smarter than I am. And curious um, people like you, lots of curious people like they're, you. Well, they're curious, but they're curious down their rabbit hole and they need people like me who are looking outside at the possible applications. Got it. Because, you know, what the, the higher you get in academia, the narrower and deeper your focus gets. And you need to be connected with the people who are still on the outside looking, looking around. And um, gotcha. so that's where I try and add value. But I also learn about all the stuff they're doing. And it's crazy. I mean, it's just fascinating. What a great combination that is. Now, you're, you've touched briefly on the work that you did with the refugees. Now, yeah. I know that you're super active in the community. You're passionate about yeah. education. Tell me a little bit about some of the, the community focus that you've got within the company and, and what you get involved with. Many, many, many years ago, I was president of the Bridgeport Chamber for a couple of firms and when I stepped down, I got a lot of phone calls from people, you know, asking me to be on different committees and boards and things. And I, I thought I really need to put some boundaries around this or I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to just exhaust myself. And so I set up some rules for what I was willing to volunteer for. And I said, number one, it's got to ha have something got to be related to my business somehow some way it's got to support the future of the company cannot be a hamstrung a wheel activity it's got to be something that i can work on finish and then start something else it could be another chapter of the same thing but just not not something that is cyclical because i would just get sick of it and i would quit it has to be something that I'm interested in and I'm learning because I'll also not stick with it if if that isn't that criteria isn't met. 
and I won't do anything around raising money because <laughs> I hate it. Absolutely. Um, Couldn't agree more. And, there is a special breed of people involved with fundraising of that nature, and I take my hat amazing. off to them. Incredible yeah, people. They're, ama- they're amazing. I, I mean, I just I admire the hell out of them. I can't do it. And so, uh, you know, what that really boiled down to was education. Education is the one thing that fits every single one of those bits of criteria. And so I just started, you know, through Manufacture CT and actually through Bridgeport Regional Business Council as well, getting involved in um, advocacy and STEM education got on the workforce committee and then got on these different advisory boards at the schools. And I serve on the advisory committees for, I don't know, five or six different, the vocational technical schools. And as I did this work over the years, all of the different, you know, groups that I was working on, it all started to become very clear that it was a, it was a, pathway and that all of the different things that I was working on were linked together. And especially right now with, you know, the Governor's Workforce Council and the regional sector partnerships that we're standing up and the work that our workforce committee is doing at Manufacturer CT, all of these things are now starting to support each other and hopefully we'll be breaking down the silos that exist in the state and really creating some real clear pathways for people who are interested in careers in manufacturing. Enough to keep you busy. From what I'm hearing, you are very much in demand, and I know this for a fact, I'll be honest. So that leads me on to how did you first get involved with conscious capitalism in Connecticut, and how lucky are the conscious capitalism guys to have you on the board? Well, actually, it's funny because it was really you when we were doing... Now, I am not taking the blame for this, Kathy. I am not. Your heavy workload is not my responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, It was probably because we were both drinking at the time, but... um, I, uh, or at least I know I was, um, but yeah, no, we were taught, we were, you know, after the interview got over, we were just kind of talking about all kinds of different things. And honestly, you were talking about quality of life and, um, you had lived in Spain for a while and came to the U S and one of the things that you had noticed when you came to the United States was that how hard Americans work. And that's a nice compliment to Americans to mm-hmm. a degree, but there's a part that I have been noticing for you know years that seemed to me just didn't make sense. We you know if we're getting more automated and we're getting more technically advanced, at some point you would think that that would translate to better quality of life. Yep. And the fact that for the most part in the United States, it has not, to me, goes to our corporate philosophy, which is very much about managing for short term exploitative goals related to quarterly returns and profits to shareholders and Wall Street and all that stuff. And that reminded me of a conversation that I had 20 years ago with this brilliant physicist named Dr. Fred Betts, who had spent his entire career 
with the National Science Foundation uh, um, advising our largest corporations like IBM and General Electric on adoption of the latest technology and where it lived, which means, you know, connecting with DARPA and NSF and all the different agencies that our government supports that are shoulder to shoulder with these corporations in developing all the things, you know, you and me on a Zoom, that technology, the st stabilizing of the screens for Zoom meetings was worked on at an industry university cooperative research center out in California. I want to say at Stanford, but I, or my, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, our everything, everything that we use today in technology was developed by industry government partnerships. And when you look at Europe and you look at the quality of life of, of people in Europe and you look at the ways that corporations manage and what Europeans expect as far as, you know, vacation. As We're very as... demanding. We're very demanding. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, do you know what? It's not about being demanding. It's kind of what you've grown up with. And I think one of the observations yeah. I had when I first arrived here was exactly that, was that the expectations of people entering the workforce here were for 10 days vacation a year. Now, I nearly choked on my cornflakes when I heard that, as you can imagine, yeah. when I'm used to 25 days minimum per year. Yeah. And I think it's what you're used to, isn't it? So if you've yeah. never had it, you don't miss it is the kind of yeah. ethos. Right. Exactly. And you had mentioned conscious capitalism. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole after we talked. And then I went to the first meeting and it was really interesting at the first meeting because I walked into the room and I thought, you know, just was listening to the conversation about the books people were reading and the things that they were doing. And I thought, man, I belong here. This is a like a whole group of people that I just instantly am clicking with. Yeah. And it's an energy, isn't it? It's got a real energy totally. about it, about doing business for good. And we talk often, totally. you know, about the tenets of conscious capitalism. And, and one of those yeah. is, you know, is, is the higher purpose within your business. Do you have like a definable higher purpose within your company? And how would you describe it? Yeah, I wasn't conscious. Um, no <laughs> Unconscious <intended>. capitalism <laughs> with Kathy. <laughs> it wasn't conscious, but I've got a family history. And I think that when you're running a family history, that culture gets handed down to you. And people say, you know, we really are a family here. And I think, you know, I bet you if you ask the employees privately offline, they might say, well, yeah, it's an okay place to work, but, you know, no, I don't have that emotional connection. And I feel like in my company, we've been through a lot together and we help each other out. And for a company that's been through, you know, two world wars, the Great Depression, the recession, the dot-com bust, the, the flu pandemic back in 1912 and the current pandemic we're dealing with now. I think there's then, no way you were you were a part of that pandemic. I mean, you look good and everything and don't get me wrong. <laughs> but no, as a business, I get it. I mean, to have yeah. navigated through so many 
big world events like that it is a credit to the business and it is of course yeah. to the employees you know to the staff that yeah. you've had helping sail your ship so to speak yeah and back during the i remember my dad telling me that back during the depression you know grandpa you know they would take whatever work came in open the cash register divide the money that among the employees and you know i mean it was just we got to get through this and during the the big recession we had to do work share which sucked oh my god that sucked that's our state mm -hmm. you know state plan where you can lay people off for a couple days a week yep so they're not out of a job but they're you know there's definitely making less money and we we did it try we tried to do it in a way that was going to have the least damaging impact on their lives and would maybe even give them the opportunity to find other part-time work to supplement and and we all talked about it together we worked it out together and and that's just the way that we are and then to learn that there's a group that you know is actually systematizing this you know i'm a big fan of deming and um <laughs> and that that is systematizing this and giving you tools that you can use to help even do it in a smarter better way that extends beyond you know the four walls of your business to your whole community and all that that just really appealed to me and I, we have a workbook i mean conscious capitalism has a workbook you know <laughs> it's like I, I don't know when was the last time i sat down with a workbook <laughs> but i'm i'm you know here i am i'm you're doing the do yeah, I'm 64 and I'm sitting with my workbook going through my exercises, but it's actually just make, it's getting my mind going, you yes. know, it's like, yep. oh yeah, I hadn't even thought about this. And then it jumps, my mind jumps and we could add this to that. And so I look forward to getting together with the other people so that I can share what I'm excited about and, and they can. And I really am you know, I said I can't raise money, but that doesn't mean I can't proselytize. I mean, if I really believe in something and I'm excited about it, anybody around me is going to hear about it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. they're going to be at the point where it's like enough already. But well, I'm excited it, about this. It's about, it's infectious, isn't it? And I think, you know, yeah. it's sharing newfound knowledge in that way it is a really yeah. you know it's an attractive thing you know people get buzzed up and excited about it and you're a big part of obviously new conscious leaders network uh, which is going to be incredible an eight-month journey where people can get involved with conscious capitalism right here in connecticut join up yeah. starting on the 19th of october the conscious leaders network i mean it's exciting it is. Oh. And, you know, at a time when there's so much going on that you just don't even want to turn the TV on anymore because it's just so much negative back and forth focus that's just designed to my my therapist years ago said, you know, we all have Velcro loops and there are those people out there that just know how to hook them. And I think <laughs> media just knows how to hook our Velcro loops. And, and so being part of this group this is really like an antidote to all that negativity because if more and more companies start managing this way a lot of the problems that we're looking towards politicians to solve that i think we probably all can agree are 
at this point in time beyond their ability to to solve mm-hmm. are just going to go away you know everybody talks about like the unions created the middle class unions did not create the middle class manufacturing created the middle class unions created the safe workplace and you know my dad always said most companies that have a union deserve a union if you manage your company and care about your people you're not going to have one so i think that a lot of the challenges that unions came about to solve as far as safety and minimum wage and thing, things like that have been legislated but there's a whole another level now that really could be solved at the corporate level if corporations manage for longer term sustainable goals you know it's proven that it it's financially a successful model they do 14 14 times better than companies that are not managing for those types of goals and it'll solve a lot of the problems that we're all being polarized issues that we're being polarized on right now so i think it's something that i can see taking us in a positive direction at a time when there's so many things that are pulling us in negative directions. Yeah, absolutely. It, I'm excited for the start of it. I've got to be honest. So, if you were to come across a company uh, with your conscious capitalism hat on, should we say, and you found a company that wanted to make a shift towards more consciousness, what would your advice be to that company? No need to reinvent the wheel. There's some great companies and smart people out there that have done this. It's good business. You'll be, you know, you'll be more successful for having made this effort and it's not going to be a heavy lift. It's something that you can gradually integrate into what you're already doing and as you start digging into it, you'll find out that you're already doing stuff right now that are things that would be called conscious capitalism that are, yeah. that are related to sustainability and managing for longer term healthier goals so yeah. uh just take one step my, my back, back in the middle of the recession my husband sent me a big bouquet of flowers um one day when i was having a real rough time there was a little card on the on the flowers and all it said was right foot left foot and i still have that little card on my desk and that's it it's just right foot left foot just take that step get started meet the people you'll like them cuz they're just fun good people we spend half the time laughing and <laughs> there's a great um, bunch yeah i think the so, thing i've noticed most of all of doing you know this series of podcasts for the curious capitalist has been i've had the privilege of speaking to some incredibly visionary business leaders who were essentially doing some incredible things but didn't have a name for what they were doing they yep. stumbled across conscious capitalism like oh hang on that's what i've been trying to do and that's what i've been pushing for for decades and now it's got a name i've got an organization i can be a part of this and i can learn from others and share my experience and it's that collaborative approach that i love about conscious capitalism particularly here in Connecticut we have got a great board uh, yourself included and it is a lot of fun right. it is It is a lot of Yeah, fun. I mean that's exactly what happened for me is I looked and said, "Oh wow, I'm already doing a lot of this stuff and and I want to do the rest of it." And you know, I, I, one of the things especially for manufacturers, we're all familiar with Deming 
and we all all you know are looking at leaning out our factories and improving the processes and everything but the piece with Deming that people tend to forget is that when you're doing those activities you are always doing that to free up resources to improve the business and grow the business you're not doing it to save money yep those Deming principles are foundational to good management of business and to longevity of business and to, to the longevity of our planet. <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. And never has that been more, I think, in focus than sustainability and uh, certainly a topic that comes up quite often. You got kids and you got grandkids. You got to care about this stuff. Yep. hundred percent. A hundred percent. So what would you say has been your biggest success, I guess, both professionally and personally? You know, you remember what I said, it can't be a hamster on a wheel activity? Yes. I'm just like, I'm always moving on to the next thing. I don't really stop to think about it. I would think we call that ADHD, don't we? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I happen to be a poster child for that. I, I have the I have the T-shirt. Good girl. Um, but um, I guess getting the company through the recession. Yeah, that was you know you want to talk about walking on the edge of a cliff, and once again, if if I didn't have the people that I have, it, we would never would have. But we just had such an incredible team that all stuck together and supported each other through it all. So I would say getting us through that to, you know, live in and fight another day was probably the, the toughest thing I've ever been through and the thing I'm the most proud of. What about because personally? If we had that culture, we wouldn't have made it. Without a doubt. You know, it's that togetherness and unified approach that, yeah. that probably kept you in business. And what yeah. about personally? Your biggest success um, personally. I will tell you I'm a great parent. I really <laughs> I, I, um, I want your I want your children on the phone. I want I want to clarify this. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, I've got a daughter and I've got two stepkids for my uh, second marriage with my husband. And I think that I did not try to be a parent to my stepkids because they had a mom and and they had a great upbringing and they and so I tried to be there for them in whatever way they were comfortable with and with my daughter I was a very fierce and loving parent who had very high expectations and at the same time you know as long as she was doing her job of loving and taking care of herself which meant working hard at school my goal was to say <laughs> yes to whatever I could. Yes. And now she's an amazing parent and I'm learning all over again. So many things, you know, she's doing it even a thousand times better job than I did. So I think that I'm really super proud of having, you know, raised a daughter uh, who's so amazing and now is, she She got her all the grants. She had, got a book for us in Lansbury, I think it was, No Bad Kids, something like that. But just a little book, but amazing parenting information and advice all based on good research. She's got her PhD in psychology and early childhood development and everything. And 
so I'm learning all kinds of new stuff for the grandkids and learning different, you know, different, better ways to be. That is magical. So, Absolutely yeah. magical. So what are your plans then, other than obviously being a part of the Conscious Leaders Network, which starts on the October the 19th? Tell me a little bit about your plans, both personally and professionally, for, say, the next five years or so. I'm turning 65 this year, which is... Don't believe you. Don't believe Um, you. Yeah, I am. What face cream do you use? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's my sister and my brother look just the same. So I guess I got to say it's a genetics. Good genes. um, (laughs) And eating healthy and exercising. But um, I... I don't want to retire. I really love what I'm doing. At the same time, my team has been steadily and systematically removing things from my plate that I have more time for the business development side of things. So I guess my goal is that I get that to the point where I can bring somebody on to do that for me and I can continue to be involved on the technology side of the business, but have more time for fun stuff like you know, skiing and kayaking and going up to our little camp in Maine and spending more time with my grandkids. And then the volunteer stuff that I do uh, around education, being able to, you know, really focus on that and try and do my best to support all the really cool people that are out there doing the work and help them to get the resources that they need in order to take the state to a whole nother level because we're on the tipping point right now and we got a ton of money in the state right now for education we you know our connecticut manufacturers collaborative group which is made up of all representatives of all the different associations in the state has been instrumental in getting that chief manufacturing officer position and then the governor's workforce council with kelly valeris set up and now we're at the point where we really need to break down some of the silos some of the dysfunction that is living within the the education system and really facilitate the teachers the people who are on the front line just like the people in my factory who are on the front line the people who bring it every day remove obstacles give them the resources they need help them to network with each other around best practices and connect with manufacturers like our summer institute manufacturer ct we put on a summer institute every year where we bring in teachers and they go to a stem class that dr um, christina broadbridge at southern puts on for them and then they get to tour factories and see how the stuff they're teaching gets you is used every day in factories and then they get a hands-on project that Dave Tuttle does at Platt's Platt Tech last two years ago it was a suspension bridge and then this year it was something illustrating fluid dynamics and then they can take that back to their classroom and you know you think about a suspension bridge you can illustrate you know a, a practically unlimited number of science concepts you know just by looking at a suspension bridge and so those teachers love that stuff and then they say but i have so much of my time prescribed to teaching to the test I don't have the flexibility to really be creative in my teaching and to adopt these things into my classroom. 
absolutely that's the stuff that you know the manufacturers and the teachers can roll up their sleeves and we get the with the, we get the administrators the superintendents the commissioner seeing that opportunity and realizing that this is the this is the place where if you want to talk about economic development for the state of Connecticut that's where the opportunity lives. If you want companies to come to this state, especially manufacturers with their jobs multiplier, then work on that. Work on on allowing those teachers to do what they do best. That's a long answer, isn't it? It's a long answer. Yeah. But do you know what? I'm just sat here smiling because I was just thinking, okay, <laughs> 65, a lot of people are, are thinking about retirement, maybe taking up gardening. And here I've got Kathy Saint, who's still going for world domination, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's infectious, and uh, I hope you never change. I hope you never change. I have Kathy- no hobbies. I can't change. I mean, what, am I, what would I do? I'd be bored out of my mind. But, I mean, honestly, that, that same physicist said to me, we were sitting on a park bench talking, and he said to me, boredom is anathema to me. And I thought, boy, that should be on my tombstone. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. I always leave feeling enthused and positive and just really buzzed up about the future. And Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut is very, very lucky to have you on the board. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see how the uh, Conscious Leaders Network unfolds. Now, if people want to find out more about you, the board, maybe your company, how do they get in touch with you? Do you have a website, social media? How can people get Um, hold of you? I'm active on LinkedIn, you know, Kathy Saint and um, Schwertle.com. It's S-C-H-W-E-R-D-T-L-E. Schwertle uh, as in turtle. Right. That's what I, was, I said to you earlier. <laughs> Schwertle like turtle. Or in first grade, it was girdle, you know. <laughs> and, uh, or if you're in German, it's Schwertle. But uh, yeah, but LinkedIn is a good place to find me because I, I love seeing what everybody else is posting there on what's going on. You got it. If you want to reach out to Kathy and continue the conversation, do it. Grab her on LinkedIn. Kathy Saint, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Back at you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Curious Capitalist. If you would like to find out more about conscious capitalism, or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.